Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. We are past Labor Day and into the academic year now, and I'm excited to begin today our series on the book of Ephesians, entitled simply, Together. And our hope is as we dive into this book of the Bible, that God would have his way with us, not only here on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week, at work or at play or at home. One of the ways we want to facilitate that is with a, a resource that... Um, Catherine put together uh, a few years ago. Uh, Catherine put together, it's a CD, it's available on the back. You can take it if you have a kid eight years or younger. I think that's the arbitrary cutoff date. You can take it, take a copy, it's our gift to you. Um, It's a CD that walks in 15 tracks or so through the book of Ephesians, through songs, 15 songs or so, and tells uh, the story of this book. Catherine thought, you know, the Apostle Paul is not just for us adults, but in some ways he's a little harder to digest for kids. So this walks them through so that they can get a taste of that. And we want you to do that at home because we want this series to be more than just here on Sundays. But one of the things you'll find is if you pop that into a CD player, which I imagine many people with children eight years or younger don't know anymore what a CD player is. That's okay. That's why I brought them. I have extras. But if you were to pop it into a CD player, one of the first tracks on that CD, you actually find the story behind this book. This book that covers, in, in many ways, just weighty material. There's actually a story behind this book, and it's the story of the Apostle Paul. He's the man who wrote this. A man who began his career circling the Roman Empire, sniffing out followers of Jesus and throwing them in the clink. Or to save taxpayer money, sometimes just throwing them in their graves. But at some point along the way, this man named Paul met this man named Jesus. He met the one he was trying to snuff out. And he spent the rest of his days traveling even further afield to not snuff out the name of Jesus, but to set it ablaze. And because of that, he found himself in some very dodgy situations, eventually ending up in Rome, once the imprisoner, now the imprisoned. And he spent the rest of his days waiting for a trial before the Roman emperor writing letters to those he had brought to faith or those he had built up in the faith, all the while leading to faith the prison guards. The book of Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians, is just that. It's a letter written to the believers of Jesus in and around the city of Ephesus to remind them of what they have in Jesus. And then to remind them of the responsibility they have to then live that out for Jesus. In that way, it's very much a letter to us. This is where we're going to pick up today in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. So I'm going to read it, both as Paul's words to the church in and around Ephesus, and as God's word to us. 
says this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we don't always understand a man like Paul who looked around our world and saw things we don't see saw things in a way we don't see them. But I pray today that we would. That we would not only understand him, but see things as he saw them. I pray today that you would give us eyes to see even the way he saw them. To see better than we've ever seen before. To see that this world is not all it's cracked up to be. And all is not as it appears but that there's another world, your world, breaking into ours. And I pray we'd catch a glimpse of that world even now as we look to your word, because you've promised to do just that in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm not much of an Instagram guy, or whatever you'd call that. I'm not much of an Instagram guy, but I found myself this week scrolling through page after page of posts, hashtagged, blessed. Does everybody know what a hashtag is? I didn't know what a hashtag is. Now I know what a hashtag is. It's a way of organizing photos. And on Instagram, this website that sort of serves to to collaborate and categorize people's photos, on this website, there's over 78 million of them, pictures of birthdays, and beaches, and barbecues, and of yoga mats, and lattes, and there's more selfies than any one person could ever possibly (laughs) or 
even caused me to doubt my own ability to smile. But it also stands, it stands as, as a snapshot of our millennial conception of the good life. Yet there's an irony in every picture that what you're looking at isn't actually what it claims to be because snapshots are, they're good for what they are, but life isn't lived in a still frame. It's a motion picture in every moment of hashtag blessed. There are an infinite number of others that tell a very different story. Am I right? You may raise a, a, a cocktail for the pick, as many do in these hashtag blessed pictures. But inevitably, you will leave out all that unravels as the night wears on. The kids look awfully cute sitting there on the couch. But that doesn't show you how often you're hitting yourself in the head with how to raise these kids. And while the world sees us through the pictures we post, we know that life is more defined by the ones we don't. It's almost as if our very notion of what it means to be blessed is misguided. Otherwise, why would we spend so much time cropping and filtering? Why would we spend so much time, moms, crying in the bathrooms? Or why would we spend so much money in the booming industry of psychiatry? Or why would so many who one day claim to be hashtag blessed the next day take their lives? Over 44,000 individuals take their lives, commit suicide each year in America. Over a million, studies suggest, intentionally inflict harm on themselves. And that's just our country. And in the rest of the world, it's much worse. We, we rank pretty good on those lists. Suggests to me that our conception of the good life is not only mistaken but gravely misguided. And I think the Apostle Paul would very much agree. This is, in fact, his starting point as he writes to these churches in and around Ephesus. After an opening that was very typical for Paul, he moves in verse 3 to define the very heart of what it means to be blessed and has very little to do with beaches and barbecues. Because blessing has to do not with whether your pictures are filtered through sepia or black and white, but whether your life has been filtered through Christ. Hashtag blessed isn't about what we do to make life look better than it is, but something God has done in the past and something God has given us in the present and something God has secured for us in the future. So tell us, Paul, what does it mean to be hashtag blessed? What, what does it mean? What has God done for us in the past? What has God given us in the present? And what has God secured for us in the future? What does it mean to be together blessed? Let's begin by looking at what Paul has says that God has done for us in the past. 
Paul begins in verse 3 saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He says, it's already been done. And we bless God now for what he's already accomplished on our behalf beforehand. Blessing us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And when he says that these blessings are in the heavenly places, what he's saying is that these blessings, rather than having to do with what we can see and taste and touch or snap a photo of, rather than that, they have to do with what's below the surface, what's behind the veil, because they have to do with God and the things of God. Because they're blessings that are rooted in, a, in another world, in God's world. That's not just a place that we're headed to someday, but a place that's breaking in, a world that's breaking into our own. You see, when we buy into when we buy into this line that my hashtag blessed life is all about those moments I get what I want and then live to take a picture of it. We've taken the canvas and mistaken it for the art. Blessing isn't about those parts of life that we can see. It's about what God does with the parts of life we can't see. And Paul goes on to explain what's at the heart of that in verse 4. He says that we've been chosen in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. We've been chosen. And do you know what it's like to be chosen? Do you know what it's like? Even when you're pretty sure that you shouldn't have made the cut? Now, I remember, I know what it's like to be chosen because I remember recess. Do we still call it recess? After class time, take a break, you go outside on the playground. I remember what it's like to be chosen at recess because I was a chubby nine-year-old and I remember going out to the playground at recess and not deserving to be on a team. But I remember being chosen for a team only because my best friend who had every right to be on the team chose me. I remember what it's like to be chosen as a nine-year-old. I also remember what it's like to be chosen as a 19-year-old. That's the summer that Catherine and I met. Now, Catherine wouldn't admit it, but up at the camp where we met, Catherine was the girl to get. I was younger than she was. And very much undeserving. I didn't talk. All I wore was white t-shirts and cut-off khaki shorts. And yet, I remember being chosen. And I remember that as a 9-year-old or a 19-year-old, choosing had very little with what I brought to the table. But how much more when it comes to being chosen by God? Now, I don't know how it works. And I don't even think I can answer all the questions that it raises. But I think I understand what Paul is saying. That being chosen by God to be holy and blameless, something that I am neither of, not holy or blameless, because I don't do what God wants, I do what I want. I don't go after what God wants, I go after what I want. 
But to be chosen to be holy and blameless is utterly astounding. And in case we don't catch it the first time, Paul then reiterates what he's saying in verse 5. He says that God predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Choosing was all about according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. A predestining for adoption as sons. Now some of you know we've been doing some work on our house. We've been settling in, getting it ready for the school year. Some of that has required more work than we anticipated. And so we've gotten some help. Thank you. For those of you who've helped. One of the people who's been coming by to help is Jim Davis. Jim, are you here or are you back in another room? Jim. Jim's been helping. Thanks, Jim. Came home the other night, <clears throat> saw the truck in the, in, the, in the driveway, yelled for Jim, didn't see him. He was up in the attic. I went up in the attic. Jim was, gee, he, he's much more flexible than you might think. <laughs> Jim was up in the attic, but... While Jim's been coming over, there was one day when Jim brought over Isaiah. Now, many of us know Isaiah now. Um, Jim and Susan are are caring for uh, Isaiah as part of the foster care system, looking to adopt him very much even now, playing the part of his mom and dad. But there were several points when Isaiah was over at which I, I understood. Isaiah really hasn't done anything to deserve what Jim and Susan are doing for him. And there were times when I shook my head even and said, man, you're just, and they've been told this by others, they're just, you're just resetting the clock. Another 18 years and Jim's not a spring chicken anymore, as flexible as he may be. But, but, but what a picture. What a picture of what God has done for us in Christ. Adoption, it says, before the foundation of the world. When we hadn't had the chance to do anything right. And God could look into the future and see that we were only going to ever do everything wrong. Yet he chose us. He chose us to be considered holy and blameless, which are really only two words to explain how he could see us and how he would see us as his sons, as his daughters, as his own. This is what God has done for us. In the past, he picked us when we weren't worth picking. That's hashtag blessed even though you can't capture it with a smartphone. But what it means to be blessed also includes what God's given us in the present. What he's done for us in the past, also what he's given us in the present. Verse 7, Paul shifts from the past tense of being chosen and predestined to the present. Not only have we been adopted at some unfathomable point, before the foundation of the world, we have now, we have it, we have redemption through his blood, through Jesus' blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, 
according, he says, to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. And it's not a mystery that you or I have to puzzle out. It's a mystery that God's already pieced together. Because the mystery is that by choosing one nation, the Jewish nation, he would send his son to be the savior of all nations. So that even you and I might have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, in order, like verse 10 says, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. But what you've got to see is that while we often think of redemption or forgiveness as things of the past or the hope of all things being united in Christ as a thing of the future, they're presented here by Paul as things of the present. Things we have, things we hold on to, and that ought to, if we have them, define our existence. It's not unlike when God rescued his people out of slavery in the land of Egypt. More than a millennium and a half before Jesus, he bought them from and fought for them against the Pharaoh of Egypt. The only difference here is that forgiveness and redemption that's ultimately offered in Jesus isn't in the face of some enemy without, it's in the face of an enemy within. It's how God took his choice from before the foundation of the world and put it into effect within the confines of history by paying the debt that each and every one of us incurs for being made in the image and likeness of God but not regarding God as we ought. And he paid it of his own initiative according to his own plan 2,000 years ago with the blood of his own son. Because blood is what tyranny demands. Blood is what Jesus paid. But it's a forgiveness that while secured 2,000 years ago is something that we have in the present. It was interesting for me that while writing this, I had gone to the church offices, I had parked outside and I totally forgot that time was tick, 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 ticking away on the meter. So five hours later, I went back to the car anticipating my first dollar ticket. I actually was looking forward to it. <laughs> but I got to the meter only to find that someone had been paying my price. Someone had been putting coins in on my behalf. Now, it was something that had been done hours past. I took a selfie of myself in the meter. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> it was something that had been done hours past, but for a frugal guy like me, the 32 cents you paid, the dollar you saved me, it had very present implications. Yet each of us has now if we've trusted in Christ for the payment he made on our behalf, an infinitely more costly debt paid by an infinitely more loving God that while paid in the past has 
infinitely more precious benefits in the present. We've all sat, you see, in God's parking spot and let the meter tick down. But God paid it for himself on our behalf, the blood of his son. The benefits are something we stand in now. And we bear them in our bodies as we continue to wander in this world. We, we walk forgiven. It's who we are. We are, as Paul says, redeemed. So that as much as a momentary selfie can't capture it, neither can a lifetime of hardships undo it. If there's trouble at home or struggles at work, if you're being picked on or stepped on or tread on, the answer isn't to bury your head in the sands. It's to lift your head to heaven to see Christ and what he's done for you. You having a bad day? Chances are you're looking in the wrong direction. One of my favorite accounts from the early church tells the story of the martyrdom of two young women named Perpetua and Felicitas. Perpetua and Felicitas. And they were tried for being followers of Jesus and they were sentenced to face a litany of wild animals. The account is actually quite graphic as they are torn to pieces by wild animals for the faith they had in Christ. There's a lot we can learn from how they faced their judgment. But let me focus on one line in the account. As they enter the arena, they pass by the official who's overseeing their execution, and they turn to him, and together they say, with the utmost confidence, today thou judgest us, but tomorrow God will judge thee. Why? How can you say things like that when you're going to your death? Because they knew that they had already been judged and judged righteous in the sight of God, holy and blameless in the sight of God so that no one else could ever place judgment on them otherwise. And while the world waits for judgment, which it will face, whether on your way to martyrdom or the marketplace, it can't touch you. That's hashtag blessed. God's done for us in the past, for our adoption as sons, what God has given us in the present, the forgiveness of our sins and redemption through his blood. But lastly, what God has secured for us in the future. Verse 11, Paul lays out, Paul lays out what God secured for the first believers, most likely those who were first to come to Christ. He says, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. What has God secured for them? An inheritance. 
But he goes on to say, if you look at verse 13, in him you also, who weren't of those first believers, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. You see, we've received precisely what every other believer before us has received, the Spirit of God. But the Spirit of God, the presence of God in your life, God taking up residence within you, isn't just about today, it is that, but it is also about tomorrow because it isn't just about the blessing available to us now, but about the blessing that will be brought to its end when the inheritance that we've been sealed for is at last obtained. It's been secured. There's a a fascinating twist in these verses, something that's baffled translators for years. Because while one might understand these verses to be saying that those who follow Jesus are given the Spirit as a seal and guarantee of their inheritance... It's possible, and slightly more likely, that Paul is actually labeling these followers of Christ as God's inheritance. It's what God gets. Because it's God who planned it from the beginning, and God who sent his son to see it through, and God who sent the Spirit as a seal so that God would get what God deserves. The people he saved. And then as verses, these verses end, the praise of his glory. That phrase first shows up in verse 6. But it's picked up twice in these final verses. To the praise of his glory. First, that those who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And then that we who have believed since, having heard the word of truth and the gospel of our salvation, who put our trust in him to do what only he can, might be the possession of God to the praise of his glory. What God's done in the past, he chose us, what he's given us in the present, a forgiveness that defines our very existence and what he's secured for us for the future. That we get God even more, we are gotten by God and that in the end, God gets the glory. Hashtag blessed. But I know that some of us, if you're anything like me, I know that some of us here are the type of people that are already arguing in our heads. Yeah, Paul, but. Yeah, Paul, blessed in the past, but not my past. Blessed in the present, but not my present. You don't know my present. Blessed in the future, but not not my future. Couldn't be. Not given my past, not given my present. So that where the word of God is 
meant here to encourage. All you're hearing is the voice of an accuser trying to discourage. It's times like this that we need to circle back, read a little bit more carefully what Paul has said, and to hear, to see a very important phrase that is repeated over and over and over again, that the blessing of God is one accomplished in and given in and ultimately secured in Christ. It's a bit like Photoshop. Anybody use Photoshop? You know what Photoshop is? I don't really know what Photoshop is. I watch Catherine use Photoshop. It's like Photoshop. A little bit like Photoshop, because Kathy uses Photoshop to touch up some of the images she takes from time to time. And one of the situations that it seems to be most helpful in is when the picture's a little too busy. Picture's a little too busy. And there's something you can do in Photoshop called lens correction. With lens correction, you can darken everything that's not the subject of the photo so that you see only the subject as it was meant to be seen from the beginning. Paul's doing a little bit of lens correction by repeating this phrase throughout this repeating this phrase in Christ 10 times that God has blessed us in Christ and chose us in him, that we might be blessed in the beloved, that in him we have redemption according to his purpose set forth Christ to unite all things in him, that in him the first to hope in him have obtained an inheritance, and in him also when we heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, and believed in him, that we were then sealed for that inheritance as well. Because being blessed isn't about what we can see and taste and touch as much as it's about what we can't and what we all too easily forget when our sights are consumed with what we can. Because it's all about God. That's what being blessed is about. It's all about God and what he's done for us in the past, what he's given us in the present, and what he's secured for us in the future, all in Christ. So if you hear the arguments starting in your head, look to Jesus and see if they stand. Let me just wrap up with a few takeaways. First, let me encourage you not to slip into Instagram superficiality, where hashtag blessed is only ever about birthdays and barbecues. You know, I was reading an article this week, it was fascinating, that uh, it was bemoaning, this article was bemoaning this hashtag blessed mentality, saying that we as a culture, we as a culture, um, we have lost our true penchant for relativism. That even in those moments, we want to then somehow put God back into the picture. That he's somehow responsible for these moments. Hashtag blessed, grateful, thankful, whatever it is. It's interesting, right? Somebody arguing that, we want, that our culture wants to be less relativistic than it 
is? I think I would say it's much more the opposite direction. Be careful not to slip into Instagram superficiality when all you see as the blessing of God is the little things and you forget what he's done in Christ. Second, though, this sort of just develops that a little bit. Second, make sure that you're looking at life through a wide-angled lens. Through a wide-angled lens. Now, we were out the other day. Catherine handed her camera to, actually, Anna Anderson. We're out on a boat. Had the wrong lens on it. Anna almost fell off the boat trying to get our family in the picture. The the reason is, is because the lens was too up close. Widening the lens would have worked great. Would have captured us and everything around. Life's a lot like that, isn't it? We end up looking at things too up close. When we look at our past, it's only one piece of our past. When we look at our present, it's only one piece of it. Usually not a great piece, right? It's only right here, what we can see, what we can taste, what we can touch. And when we think about our future, it's tomorrow. What are we going to do tomorrow? Let me encourage you to look at life through a wide-angled lens. Not to do away with the past, present, and future that you know well as your life. But to put that against a bigger backdrop. To see it within the context of what God has done. What he's done in the past, what he's given us in the present, and what he's secured for us in the future. Look at life through a wide-angled lens. Don't slip into Instagram superficiality. Lastly, though, remember to keep your focus where it should be. This whole passage is about what God's done and is doing and will do in Christ. But for all Paul says, there's only ever one implicit command. Now Paul, he's got a knack for shuffling out commands in his writings. You know that? But in this passage, there's only one. It's only implicit. There's only one implicit command. Do you see it? What is it? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Bless God. Bless God. That's where he ends, too. To the praise of his glory. So while you're guarding yourself against slipping into an Instagram superficiality, while you're looking at life through a wide-angled lens, let me encourage you to spend your life keeping the focus where it should be by blessing God. Bless God. Open your mouth. Sing about him here. Talk about him afterwards and speak about him wherever you go. Now, some of you were here a couple weeks ago and I said, go out, think of one person. Think of one person to find who you can tell Jesus, right? You can tell them about Jesus. Do you remember? Raise your hand if you remember. Keep your hands up. So you can put your hands down if you've done it yet. Now, 
Go out and do it. Think of one person. But this week, this week, I want to encourage you not to pick the person yourself. This week, I want to encourage you to let God pick the person. And I want you to keep your ears open. Somebody this week is going to ask you, how are you doing? And this is how I want you to respond, okay? I want you to look at them. I know, I know you're going to think in that moment, am I really going to do it? This is what I want you to do. I want you to think in that moment, I'm doing great. And then ask this question, can I tell you why? Now, they might not want to hear. Ah, I don't got time. Ah, I got to go. But they may say, sure, tell me about it. What I want you to tell them is that this week, you've been thinking about what you have in Jesus. I want you to tell them that this week, you've just had a growing appreciation for how through Jesus and the work that he's done on your behalf, you're growing in how you understand God as your father. Adoption as sons, what God has done for you in the past. Or I want you to tell them, try and formulate in your head how you can get out in one or two sentences how you're growing in your appreciation for what you have in the present. You know, I walk forgiven. I felt so judged this week, but guess what? I got a new appreciation that no one has nothing on me. Or tell them of your growing appreciation for what's ahead. That the days ahead are going to be better than the days behind. And that what lies in the future is better than what lies in the past. So when you bump into this person, and God picks the person, just be ready to ask your question. I'm doing great. Want to hear about it? Because this is what it means to be blessed. Because of what God's done way back before the foundation of the world. Because of what God has given us now that we walk with. Because of what God has secured for our future. Where we're aimed. All in Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray as we go from here, that we would go blessing you for how you've blessed us in Christ. That every hashtag blessed moment would be blessed not just because of what we can see on the screen of our phones, but blessed because of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H-Bible dot O-R-G.